Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's Friday morning. I'm, I'm generally excited this morning because it's edition 161. And uh, Rose has come back. Rose, thank you so much for rejoining us. You were here last uh, in September 2021. Uh, so two years have passed. So Rose Marley, you're the CEO of Cooptives UK. And it's right. a great last night was a great day, wasn't it for the cooptive movement? It absolutely Go on, was. Rose, you spill the beans. Well, thank you for having me, uh, me back, uh, Frank and Stan. Um, and obviously, we didn't know that I was going to be saying this this morning. But uh, last night, Cooperatives UK won Business of the Year uh, at the City of Manchester um, Business Awards, which we're absolutely over the moon about. We were up against huge um, businesses. But the, one of the reasons uh, I'm over the moon, like you say, I came, I came last on this podcast just over two years ago, which was just when I'd started this role, yeah. actually, and quite a lot of challenges. So there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, internally within the business, there's been a lot of hard work to achieve that. So I'm really, really pleased that the team will get to see the results of that hard work. Um, the member support that we've had has been brilliant. But actually, the, the raising awareness about cooperatives as a business and being recognised as significant in the business community is really important because it's so difficult to kind of raise awareness of alternative business structures like cooperatives. Um, so I'm just really, really pleased that this award's been given us the visibility and the chance to be able to do that. Yeah, because we've spoken on this uh, chat before about the lack of visibility of uh, other business models, shall we say, at, a, at GCSE and A-level, like in politics or economics studies. So uh, it's great to see the cooperative movement getting a, a sort of platform, really, um, you know, to challenge the existing sort of uh, views on this sort of stuff. And it's even more um, sort of um, scary than, you know, just like, you know, we're not on the curriculum, you know, we're not in um, the sort of standard business uh, teaching in things like, you know, chambers of commerce either. But actually, uh, in 2020, the government, um, the Department for Education sent guidance out to senior leaders in um, health and, and relationship part of the curriculum to uh, strictly instructed not to use any materials or information from organisations that are anti-capitalist. Well, that actually means you can't teach, for example, the history of the Labour uh, <laughs> Party. Uh, you can't teach uh, trade unions and you shouldn't be teaching cooperatives under that remit because, yeah, you know, cooperatives and um, capitalists, it isn't for private gain. It's absolutely shared ownership and democratic control. So that's been a really worrying um, kind of culture wars, it feels mm, like, mm. In, in terms of what's happened there and, and very under the radar as well. I mean, the good news about it being under the radar is I don't know how many schools are paying well, attention I, I, to I, it. <laughs> I was just about to say, I know that um, when I was the CEO in the Co-op Academies Trust, uh, Connell College came on board. It was their 10th anniversary uh, yesterday. Uh, and I was oh. able to, to attend even though I wanted to. But actually... I spoke to uh, the economics teachers at the college when they became part of the trust and uh, they expressed, you know, sort of th this desire to actually sort of extend the understanding of young people about co uh, cooperation. And they were saying, well, we ignore it. Oh, we ignore good. it. You know, so <laughs> I, I was thinking, well, that's actually a really positive sign, you know, that actually there is still sort of freedom amongst teachers to actually sort of, you know, push forward 
an agenda which probably is fair for the young people to have an understanding of absolutely. of all that's available absolutely yeah. so yeah that's a bit it was you know w- without a doubt uh disappointing i am at the new um cop academy in bellevue actually oh are you frank so i'm oh, excited wow. to see that yeah 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 fabulous um okay uh actually we're going to go to rose to what's caught your eye this week Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that's caught my eye, it's not uh, specifically um, education related, but it really, it really struck me. It was on Radio 4 Today uh, programme and it was, um, the guest was uh, Patsy Stevenson, who was one of the women who had been arrested um, at the vigil of Sarah um, Everard. Um and it really struck me. She actually, she, actually, she, she cried on the on the interview because it was clearly the first time she'd been able to speak. Because obviously, when things are going through court and legislation means that you cannot talk about um, a case. Um, and 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 I hadn't realised, as many other people, to what extent she was. She was. She just went to that vigil. It was a. It was a snap decision to show her support. And she. She wasn't a protester. She'd never protested. Uh, um, before and, and what happened to her was really scary but also it highlights something that I observe um, within the public sector actually um, but it comes um, from the top it's this idea of protecting institutions and when an individual or you know somebody becomes when somebody challenges that institution often from a point of view of being a victim and mm. um, that's really difficult to do because the institutions put their weight of legal support behind and a real kind of um you know at, at best passive aggressive kind of uh, practices to to not allow that low those individuals to speak and it's something that um the mayors in the northwest in Rotherham and Andy Burnham are, are, are campaigning for um, and they're calling it Hillsborough law because um, obviously a similar thing happened there but Grenfell and the post office and you know this idea this duty of candor I find it shocking that we need to put in place a law that says public sector workers have to tell the truth um and I just think there's something in that I mean it, like I said it really touched me and shocked me and I, and I felt her pain but also I think that's where it trickles down I, it, you know a lot of your listeners are in education and and this will resonate you know that kind of whistleblowing or challenging and I think it's something we need to work on as a country because and again like I've just touched on it before you know freedom of speech is an absolute privilege and gift that we should protect with all our, our might and um people should be able to stand up to those institutions so yeah it really it really affected me that news story it's funny um uh it's triggered something, a memory for me, again, going back to my work with the co-op. I remember we had an education director um, who actually was very experienced, um, a bit truculent. Even he would admit that he was sometimes a bit of a loose cannon. But actually, and I remember um, uh, an admin member of staff coming to me and saying, really, he shouldn't be speaking to you like that, you know. And I was thinking, no, well, he should. (laughs) I'm pleased that he feels able to, you know, and feels safe in that environment. I don't see that. I never viewed it as a, a weakness. It, it was never personal to me. It was all about mm-hmm. trying to improve. You know, he, he at times he felt I wasn't hard enough or firm enough or driving this or driving that. And I, I thought that that was, you know, very helpful for for me. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's a minor thing compared to the Sarah Everard thing, but it sort of did trigger a need for leaders to be open to that sort of stuff, to welcome it. 
Absolutely. And like I say, and, and sat within frameworks that not just um, allow it, but actively encourage it. And, and I think that's the paradigm shift we need to make. It's weighted in the other direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stan, what are you going to say? Well, um, what's caught my eye is something that works on both sides of this. Um, there's a, a All Saints Academy in Dunstable. They're, they're going through a judicial review about their inadequate judgment. And Ofsted are clearly doing what they do and protecting Ofsted. So that they're playing the game of we, we will share what evidence or, I mean, just off record, I've just read a, a complaint response to a school where Ofsted refer only in the complete complaint to the evidence base of the inspector. At no point have they sought any extra or additional information from the school. So there is no point in that. So the, the inspector says this happened. And the next question is, well, the school's saying it didn't. Well, I look at the notes. Oh, yes, you put that it happened. Yeah. Therefore, the complaints overturned. And it's just bizarre. But what's what's changed at this school is that the, the Ofsted are now saying that some of the staff have been bullied into either not talking to inspectors or about what they've said to inspectors. And again, according to what Ofsted are saying, there's evidence that staff have been suspended until such time as they disclose what they've said to the inspector. Wow. So there's two institutions trying to, to I suppose, use their weight to support their, their reputation. And in the middle of it all, there are some staff who have since left the, the academy, I understand, who are in the middle of all that and unable, really, to fight their, their own yeah, corner yeah, against yeah. the weight of those two institutions. So yeah. it's, it's a similar case of people... You know, and whistleblowing is, you know, it's a protected um, area of, of your life now. So you should be able to whistleblow and you should be able to do that w without any interference. But but clearly, the reality of the world is that you can't do that mm. or you do it at your at your risk. It's funny. I, I, I do. You know, I'm not I'm not a great fan of um, the current uh, government. Um, around what it's trying to do with education, but I I do quite a lot of work to prop it up, you know. So in effect, I I I do work for Blackpool and I do work for Liverpool Council, working on their education boards. And actually, I think at times you you feel completely drawn, you know, because you think, oh gosh, you know, should I just walk away from all of this? Mm. You know, it actually feels so toxic that you feel as though all I'm doing is perpetuating this toxicity in fact making it worse you know but then you think well who am i actually walking away from you know you're walking yeah. away from some of the most vulnerable children and thinking well if if my voice is lost you know and at times i feel constrained and I, I t and this is actually one of the reasons why i've decided to step away from the work in blackpool uh, not because blackpool council have been absolutely brilliant and the dfe have never interfered with anything that i've said but i just feel as though it's just a matter of time before they will Mm. Yeah, and so See, I feel like I've been running on the ridge for quite some time. I, I feel that, you know, when I think back, I was as guilty as anybody else when it came to inspection. I, I wouldn't say I bullied staff, but I can remember talking to one member of staff about music, which wasn't a particular strength at the time in the school, and saying, you know, 
look, I know and you know that music is is weaker than the other subjects, mm -hmm. but there's no need for the inspectors to know that. And when the inspection's over, we can do something about it. Yeah, uh, which is effectively saying, please don't say just, anything. To just the shut up. <laughs> yeah, don't don't yeah. give your valid view yeah. to the inspectors yeah. unless they specifically ask for I it. Know. I know. I mean, Rose, just to move it on a little bit, your two children are sort of at a transition point, aren't they, in education? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, we're leaving uh, the the um, educate schools uh, system. So I've got my son uh, next week is going to York University, and my daughter, what's he studying there? He's, he's studying international relations. So wow. he did politics, economics, and history, um, and he did brilliantly in his A levels. And my daughter uh, has just finished GCSEs, also did very well, and is going to Severian College in in Manchester. So. No more school runs and school uniform for us, although I have spent a lot of money on Levi jeans. Uh, to be fair, the, the alternative uh, school uniform. Do you have a view on uniform, by the way, before we move on? Do you have a view on uniform as a parent? Forget the CEO role of the Cooperative UK. What's your... Yeah, I do, actually. I do think, um, you know, we should be encouraging, you know, particularly that, well, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because the supermarkets will provide, you know, the plain white shirts and the plain skirts and, and all that type of uh, thing. And I think it's really important that we encourage that you can use the non-logoed items. But I do think the logos are important for purposes of, you know, identifying, uh, you know, we, we, what school you're from and that camaraderie and solidarity. So I'd like to see more kind of iron-on logos type stuff or that, you know, or, or something along yeah. the lines of where you can make it you can kind of make it that the, the basics of the school uniform are really, you know, as as affordable as, as can be, um, but that, that, that you can kind of bring that, um, you know, uniqueness of the school out because it's often mottos and logos and it's what the school stands for. Yeah. So a little bit of both, but also my... Um, in the in the school that my daughter's just left um she did have a uniform protest uh, uh, at one point um and they, obviously were you encouraging her Rose? <laughs> well, come on, I, was, come on. I was gonna say they got the wrong parent because when i got the call <laughs> when i got the call that jess... oh we know where this has started we know who started <laughs> when i got the call that jess was you know i had a petition going around school and all sorts of stuff you know i was like going yes <laughs> um but um and, and but this and I, one of the reasons i completely agreed with that the specific rule was it wasn't it wasn't just the color of the skirt it was the exact material you had to have right. it was um it, it i can't remember if it could have pleats or couldn't have pleats. it was really really specific in style and material to the point where the teachers each morning had have an inspection on the gate and they had to feel the material to check right. whether it was the right one so it's not even that visible yeah. um and again uh, my daughter's very slim um so she couldn't necessarily get it, it the ones and you could only get them from certain shops and all that type of stuff um so she'd have to this specific skirt she'd have to kind of um it, i mean she was very happy with this but she had to roll it up and make it higher because it was too big too, for yeah, her yeah, yeah. Get, and then she'd get in trouble because it was too short and i just used to think haven't you got anything better to do like i know you've got things that you need yeah. to do and you could see the teachers were frustrated that all this energy and effort was going into they couldn't wear the hair up they couldn't have you know like just and then just monitoring all that and then what a, what a bad way to set up the day you know that you're instantly you know in a row with your teachers and and you know what the bit that really frustrates me about that is is the parents that cannot afford 
Um, you know, so what? So what are the rules around the very specific black shoes, and they have to be the shoes, and, and not more trainer style? And well, you're into you know a lot more expensive yes. shoes yeah. then. And then, like, say you've got young people who, through no fault of their own, are not in this absolute pristine condition that the school wants you to be in. They're already in trouble at the start of of, of the day. What, how does that set up their learning? And their, yeah. I just find that the, the inequity of it all is yeah, so that's, frustrating. That's the key word, isn't it? I read a piece yesterday. I can't remember where I read it, but it was somebody who's now an adult talking about as a child being punished for not having the right uniform, not having a supermarket skirt rather than the official one. And she said that, that she'd said to the teacher at the time, you're punishing me for being poor. And, and you know, not made, and not even just poor, just, you know, you haven't got the armoury necessarily around yeah. you that, you know, that, that, that often young people have need. I've seen this with apprentices. I remember taking on one of our apprentices at, at Sharp Futures and um, every day he came in in a, in a, in a hoodie, um, like a like a coat style hoodie. And we were thinking when he started, oh, he's not settling in. He feels like he needs to leave. And no, I was as bad as anyone. I'd be like, aren't you stopping? You know, anyway, after about a week, um, the the HR came into the campus where I was and she said, oh, great news. He's he's taken off his hoodie. And I was like, brilliant. And she went, he's got another one underneath. Um, And (laughs) what I realised, and I was so annoyed at myself, what I realised was, not only did he not have the money because we'd not thought to advance his wages, he had no one in his armory to say, you're starting a job. This is the kind of yeah. clothes you will be expected to wear. Let's go out. Let's get you sorted. So it's not just the cost often. It, it's the awareness of, you know, yeah. how important these things are. And like I said, if you've got a really challenged background and, you, you know, I've seen it again in schools, like it's been raining and they've come in like completely, you know, with clothes still damp from the day before because people can't afford to dry the clothes. There's so there's so much around uniform that sets pupils up with disadvantage without even, you yeah. know, before they've even opened their mouths. And yeah, yeah. I just think that's the, that's the bigger picture that we need to look at. I must admit, I, I was not a great fan of uniform, but in two different schools, I introduced uniform and the impact of it was unbelievably positive. Simple ones, simple uniforms, you know, you didn't have to have the logo on the sweatshirt, but you could have a, a bottle green one from any of the supermarkets, etc. But the first time, which was in an inner city school, when we introduced uniform, which was a tie and a jumper, nothing else, the difference in those children in terms of their identification with the school the the pride it just it for the the rest of the time I was at the school it's probably two two and a half years it was a completely different organization the the children had this sudden pride in what they were doing yeah. wow. mind you rose was saying that she's having to buy levi jeans i diverted you away with the uh discussion about uniform but you were going to say about your two children moving out of school. I mean, how's that? How's that working out for you? Yeah, I've been I've been quite reflective, uh, really. Sort of, you know, considering the um, Manchester uh, State education, um, and I can't pretend I'm over the moon. I, I don't think they've had a better education than than I had. You know, um, thirty years ago or so, um, and I do. Um, 
Well, I said, I don't think they've had a better education. There's some areas that are down to curriculum. There's some areas that are down to, to budgets. But also, what I would have hoped by now is that the education system was starting to reflect the changing work environment and setting people yeah. up for school correctly with the right level of and, um, qualifications. No, you know, I'd like to say employ lots and lots of young people. The qualifications aren't the important, but it's it's the attitude to learn and it's the ability to learn and problem solve and skills. And and we're not producing young people that can do that. In fact, we've gone backwards. We sp we spoon feeding too many young people. There's no self responsibility, um, which is a really important skill yeah. for for life. Yeah, it's interesting because we've got two um, this week two private schools that have moved say they're moving away from GCSEs for that very reason that that um, I think the quote from the deputy is that that GCSEs reward rote learning rather than deep and original thinking and they don't teach children effectively for what employers and the modern workplace want I think that's something Frank and I have said for, for some time well, yeah I yeah, I was taught it's funny how all these we must have been having the same sort of conversations this week because I'm organising a conference in Blackpool for business leaders and and secondary school college leaders. And you've got that sort of dichotomy, really, where you've got those who say, well, it's about the qualification. If you don't give them the qualifications, they can't get the opportunities. And, 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 and I look at it, though, on the basis that you're, you're making an assumption that everybody has found the education ladder. They all found it at the same time. But actually, some kids still, even at 16, have still not found the education ladder. But we need to find a way in which we give them a set of skills, attributes that enable them to go into the work ladder and the education ladder. And and you can see when um, young people who uh, we were placing on work placements in the co-op headquarters, who'd never shook hands with anybody, who'd never introduced themselves, had never, ever been responsible for making sure that a white shirt that they were wanting to wear was clean. They didn't actually know how to use the washing machine, how to iron, how to get, you know, what, what they had to do to get on a bus to get into Manchester, you know, how they found out what time that bus arrived, all of those sorts of stuff, you know, were, and when they were introduced to people like Steve Morells, just couldn't hold that conversation with Steve. Steve had to do so much work to, to eke it out of these young people, but they had fantastic potential. Yeah, just, it, the education it, system had delivered was driving them towards exams but and ignoring and it's at its peril really all those other bits of stuff that in the families that we live you know our children have that they see us do this all the time but in for me it's always the it, it's it is that bottom third that i'm most concerned about who are not getting who, who feel at the moment as if well, education isn't for them because they know they're not going to get a grade four in english and maths they know that therefore means they're going to struggle to get onto T levels. It means they're going to have to spend another year doing English or maths as a course at the sixth form college. That it's not opening them up to apprenticeships. What are they? You know, no wonder they're walking with their feet. Yeah, to say, and they're never going to enjoy the learning because they know that. So every day is a tr is a drudge. It is. If there's nothing there that says, "Wow, I want to get there because today I'm going to be doing this," or you know, that, if that drive, that enthusiasm isn't driven in children to get to school in some way, then the, the, what what's the point of going? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you both on that, actually, um, because I'm really interested in, um, so, so so Frank, the sort of more general skills aside, but understanding maybe what skills you need into different areas of work and something that's being looked at in Greater Manchester is the idea of the, the MBAC, the Manchester Baccalaureate, where you look at groups, or, you know, look at areas of employment that are strong in, in the area, like advanced manufacturing, creative industries, for example, and then looking at um, advising young people about groupings of subject matters that, that enable them, them into that space. And I've got mixed feelings. I'm interested in your view, but I also experienced with my son at A-levels. Um, he did economics for the very first time at A-levels. Absolutely loved it. He actually got an A-star at A-levels. Wow. But he couldn't go on to do economics at degree because he hadn't had maths. And not only did nobody tell him that, how would he have known he loved economics so much? I mean, he, you know, I'm, that's glib saying he mm. couldn't. He couldn't go on to do it, you know, yeah. um, London School of Economics, you know, which is where he wanted to to go because he, it was a BSc and he didn't have the maths and something. And it was the pandemic and all that, but something along that journey, a decision was made without even realising we're making a decision. So I'm really interested in in what you think about that idea of highlighting, you know, potential uh, routes and whether then you end up ruling out other routes yes. um, or whether you think it's a good thing to kind of make that more visible to young people at, 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 the, at the options year and back would be, yeah. Yeah, well, go on, Stan. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I do think we specialise far too early. Yeah. Um, and so you don't get that chance to see. I mean, for my son, it was a fluke, and that's been what he's done ever since, that the college didn't offer him the course he wanted to, and he chose to do music technology uh, almost as a, a throwaway. Got into that so much that he's he's now a qualified music teacher. Um, so it, it's it's a route that wasn't explained to him. Nobody said when he was doing... Um, his choices, you know, do you want to do music? I don't think the school actually offered music, but you know, that might be something that you you might ex excel at later in life, and that wasn't an option, and yeah. it was a mere fluke. Yeah, on the MBAC thing, uh, for me, the, I'm just, I just looked at the MBAC proposal, which has an academic and vocational route. Some subjects are in both, but some subjects are only in one. And and for me, there is going picking up on the point Stan made. You know, there needs to be a real meshing together of this. We've got ourselves into a position where we think that it's okay for children to just study sort of eight subjects. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I remember when I I I had to leave during A levels. Uh, had a lung condition, which meant that I missed about nine months of schooling. And the school said, "Well, you'll have to go to a year below." And I thought, "I'm not going to do that," so I left. And I, I, did, I remember going to evening classes and studying law and economics as part, in, as part of my banking exams. Never studied law and economics before, but I really, really liked it, really liked it. And I felt as though if I'd had that opportunity earlier, you know, um, I think that might have shaped where I went to study. I eventually went to university, but it would have, I think, shaped differently where I'd ended up. And I think for me, it's around... Uh, it's in, her daughter, a granddaughter's uh, joined a school that has electives on a Wednesday afternoon, which I think is a really interesting idea. There's a range of subjects and things you can do. The thing she wanted to do is full, so she can't do it. But actually, but you know, whatever. But I do think that's 
that that flexibility and that freedom to study stuff that actually I hadn't thought about that. You know, I think American universities do this very well, don't they? They there's a, a whole range of courses that you can study. You're not restricted to you've got to do this course, you've got to do that course. There's a real sort of meshing of that. You can you can create your own sort of course. So I think, I I think we need to do a lot more of that in schools. I know this is old now, but if you remember the days when you were gifted and talented um, and and identified as gifted and talented uh, because in in the school where my daughter was, it was because a number of teachers nominated you to be gifted and talented, but there were only 30 children in the year group that could could have that qualification. And when she chose um, not to do art or to do art rather than another subject, that knocked one of her teachers out of the thing. So they actually announced to her class with her there that she was no longer gifted and talented. <laughs> well, because of the subject she'd chosen. Our son, Don, was selected for a, a gifted and talented programme, which was during the summer holidays, and that was a complete turn-off. So he called it SWAT school. There's no way I'm losing my summer holidays to go on SWAT school. Um, but anyway, yeah, I th- I, for me, it feels as though... We've got ourselves. I mean, it's interesting. The government wants to uh, have. We talked about the M back and and some of the limitations of it, but the government's pushing the E back, and, and a key central pillar of the E back is a modern foreign language. Well, Rose, if you can get a modern foreign language teacher anywhere in the country, you're doing well. You know, I mean, well, and where I work, you just can't get them. So schools have got very low E back scores, and oh, it's terrible. But actually, the cause of that is the government's recruitment of or lack of recruitment, creating a career structure for a modern foreign language student to go into teaching. Well, therein lies the problem as well, that they've decided that a modern foreign language is critical because anybody that goes abroad now, you know, uses, you know, whatever form of translate. I mean, it, it, it. it, it it doesn't even like the, what you can do with AI, what you can do, you know, actually, if I was saying you need to learn a language, I'd be saying you need to learn a coding language, a bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as useful, if not more. And it's just a real, like, you know, and it, that one does frustrate me and the idea of keeping you on in maths, that it was because those are subject matters. I was never good at foreign languages. I was never good at uh, uh, any good at maths. And that would have been a huge switch off, you know, to me in that period to be told you had to learn something. So like you said, Frank, the idea of being able to have a, you know, an enriched curriculum and, and try things. And that goes through life as well. You know, there's plenty yes. of there's plenty of roles and jobs I've taken, normally out of necessity, to be fair, um, that aren't my preference subject matters, aren't something that I think I could excel at. Um, but it challenges you and you learn lots and you actually find areas that you do like. And, and I think, like you say, bringing more of that what real life is like in the workplace into the school environment, which can often be suddenly mm. you're being asked to be, you know, the health and safety officer because you're in a small business and you know <laughs> nothing about health and safety. And suddenly you've got to become an expert. Those kind of things we don't like you say we don't. Our education system doesn't allow that agility um, no, changing your mind is a bad thing you know it, well you know that's that's life so yeah is, is anyone doing it well at a kind of um secondary school level i know you're talking about the american universities there but internationally is it is any curriculum allowing that level of um and, and the other thing is that our young people now bite size and snack and they're very used to getting small bits of it yes. You know, the yeah. T levels is that, isn't it? It's the idea of being, you know, generally good at a lot of things and then having a vertical that, you know, you're yeah. really good at. So I kind of like the idea that you can 
try a bit of everything. Yeah, I, I think that that I I'm not. I think we're constrained in the UK. I mean, it's interesting the point that Stan was making about Latimer School wanting to create their own sort of qualification. You know, that's driven by a restricted approach towards you know the the limitations of the current exam system. And and actually, when we when I've gone overseas and and looked at other um, other approaches, you know, you, you you do generally see a much greater a greater range of opportunities. And and actually, the government uh, advisors always refer back to places like Holland, Netherlands, which is actually very similar to the structure that we have traditionally in the UK. Um, and that's always their first port of call. But actually, when you look at uh, greater flexibility even around you know uh nordic countries where children start school a lot later it's less structured you know that that getting you know it, it's very sad isn't it when children come out of nursery and then they go into reception even at that point we're we're wanting them to conform and there's a and the range of subjects narrows down quite quickly you know oh, in primary school. we had a nursery inspected and the inspector wanted to see the uh, reluctant readers <laughs> he wanted them to put to put a group of reluctant readers together. You know, and you just think, what what are we doing? Well, and I um, think just on the on the baccalaureate. Yeah. I mean, I may be the most cynical amongst us here, but doesn't the baccalaureate actually reflect what Michael Gove thought was important uh, rather yeah. than anything else? Yeah. yeah, because we there's no arts in it at all. Yeah, uh, no humanities. I don't think. Uh, no, there is humanities in and there. There's no yeah. RE. Yeah, there's no RE. Yeah. Um, I mean, if ever there was a sub, if ever you were saying to somebody in the current world that we don't think teaching RE is quite a significant subject, you know, I mean, that's quite startling. And also yeah. the fact that on the end back, just going back to that, computing sits in the vocational arm. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. saying music with the furore over the last night of the proms and, you know, the British tradition, everything. You know, the, the academic side of doing a music GCSE is is really quite challenging, yeah. and yet to to write that off as as not being a not being a subject that's got enough rigor to it. Hey, look, uh, we've got two minutes before we finish because Stan's off to do some childcare, and I'm sure Rose has got other things to do today. But I just want to pump in with my uh, what's caught my eye for me, and that really is about the um, the BTEX. And so the whole discussion today has been about post-16, really, isn't it? A lot of it. But here we've got uh, the government wanting to push young people into A-levels, T-levels, or apprenticeships. Now, A-levels are well-established. that For me, that those are the one. It's not a gold standard. It just happens to be the more academic tend to do A-levels. Um, <clears throat> the T-levels are meant to be a bridging post where some of the academic kids would want to do that because they're technical qualifications some major problems with the rollout of the current T-levels. You know, we can't find, you know, I do a lot of work in Blackpool. We're going to struggle to get businesses to pick up on the numbers. You know, and the the number of T-levels currently being rolled out is relatively small compared to what the full programme looks like. I just can see it falling over. And and the, (laughs) the apprenticeships, I mean, where have they all gone? You know, it's not as if we're on the back riding a crest of a wave with loads of apprenticeships, you know, being driven through the system. You know, they're simply not there. But the government doesn't want to admit that there's got a problem with its T-levels and with its apprenticeship programme. So it's just, as somebody said, playing fast and loose with post-16 education at the moment. 
We need desperately, uh, somebody was suggesting that we have 155,000 students next year or the year after who will not have a course to go, go on, you know, and some of those will be some of the, those children who have not, who didn't find the education ladder until quite late in life. And those are the young people that I have the greatest concerns for who seem to be excluded because they're, they're struggling to get a grade four in English or maths or whatever it may be. Well, they will eventually, you know, give them time, they might, you know, but actually what we must do is not close down learning opportunities for them. So for me, it's a mistake. Get Keep the BTECs. Let's, if you think T-levels are going to work, let's give them time to bed in. I personally think they're great but i think it's going to be like other programs there's just not enough businesses able to pick up the slack on it but also uh, frank there's a challenge there to businesses and it does bring us beautifully back to uh, cooperative uh, businesses and um, because what what is often being asked particularly of small business whether it's the t-levels or even the apprenticeships um, the detail of the expectations of the employers, uh, it, it's often the detail that stops uh, the, the enablement. I know there's lots of examples where employers benefit uh, out of, say, for example, apprenticeships. But actually, the backbone of this country is small business. And yes. actually, apprenticeships don't work that well. The, the way the levy works isn't helpful to small business. So there's lots of things about it but I do think and the reason I'm commenting on cooperatives is all cooperatives operate under a set of values and principles and and principle number five is literally the responsibility of education Um, and I do think that we should be considering in in all business uh, forms the responsibility of of, of education and and the role that business is expected to play and actually let's say you know whether we could do that through tax incentivization yes. or whatever but that, that we kind of make it more attractive to businesses to want to train our young people because actually there's a lot of older people in the market we've got an aging population young people haven't got the skills so employers have to work really hard at page one skills like oh yes you do have to come in every day or, you know, yes. or whatever those rules are that they've not been um kind of you know uh, shared so I'd, I'd love to see not the onerous on business because I think that's there. I think the 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 empowerment and the enabling of, of business to actually be part of that pathway and support that's what I think would make the difference, particularly with T levels. It's interesting in Switzerland. Uh, um, I don't know. I was invited to Switzerland has quite a good connection with Manchester. There's there's uh, quite quite a lot of quite a number of. Uh, major Swiss businesses have bases along that Oxford Road corridor and I've, I've been invited on a few occasions to uh, lunches and uh, dinners and things and but what's clear is in Switzerland the, the business community see their role as an educator they don't see it as oh well you know they do expect something from schooling but actually it's not a case of the finished article is delivered to us and we can now mold it into what we want it to be mm-hmm. it's very much around you know uh, understanding the range of young people that are going to be joining the business and trying to accommodate that and to work with what they've got it's much more it feels much more enlightened um, than we have anyway that's where it's gone stan you've got one minute before childcare. <laughs> we've got to finish we've got to finish rose thank you so much for joining us again thank you, this week. 
And uh, next week, it is Alwyn Pugh. I got it all wrong last week. Alwyn Pugh, a former HMI, is joining us. So we look forward to that. And uh, and also just one thing, we had a great chat with the uh, a, a parent and uh, probably future governor at Caversham Primary School in Kent, where unfortunately the head teacher uh, committed suicide after an Ofsted inspection. And that was posted yesterday. And I'd urge anybody who hasn't viewed it to view it because it's a... Uh, it's very insightful and also quite uh, worrying um, what ha- what happened and uh, what have you. So I'll push you towards that. But thank you, Rose. And thank you. Uh, all of you have a great day. See thank you, folks. You. Bye. Bye-bye.